Hello again, and welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. Today, we are diving back into Genesis 22 to ask the question, how would you define faith? Well, in this message, Chris provides a foundation for what faith looks like and how our obedience to God is critical to living a satisfying and fulfilling life. Here's Chris. Well, welcome back, everybody, to week 20 of our series in the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis 22 today, so if you have a Bible or if you want to grab a Bible real quick, open up to Genesis 22, go to the very front of the Bible, flip over 22 pages, that's about where we'll be. You'll find Genesis 22, and we're going to go through Genesis 22 for the second time this week. Last week, we covered Genesis 22, and we looked at some specific themes. We looked at the theme of testing and how God tests us, we looked at the foreshadowing of Jesus in the life of Isaac and how what Isaac goes through uh, in this chapter really point by point lays out what Jesus will go through the week that he is crucified and, and, and rises from the dead. And we looked at the theme of surrender as well. This week, we're going to look at the, the theme of faith. And there is so much misunderstanding about faith, uh, in, and, and it's very subtle, uh, but it's pervasive throughout uh, the, the church and the Christian community. And today, I'm really excited to have an opportunity to bring some clarity to that. And Abraham, we call him the father of faith. Uh, this particular chapter, Genesis 22, this is kind of the apex of faith for him. He, he displays faith when he first decides to leave where he was and go to the land that God would show him, and he trusts God enough to do that. And we watch as Abraham's faith grows from there. And then in this chapter, if you're, you're just joining us for the first time, you're about to see that God asks something completely outrageous of him. So, and he actually responds positively and does what God asks him to do. So, faith, and we're going to read this passage again through that lens. Genesis chapter 2, verses verse 1 through 19, it says this, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the, the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. And as we talked about last week, the mountain that he takes him to is uh, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, but it won't be the Temple Mount in Jerusalem for a very long time. Uh, this is where Jesus is crucified. Again, this is where we see the kind of the foreshadowing of Jesus. In verse 3, it says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. The, early the next morning, Abraham didn't delay. He got up the next day. He trusted God enough to go without delay, and head off to do what God has asked him to do. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we We'll come back to you. Now, I said last week, I'll just, just point this out again this week. Abraham said, we will worship he and the boy, and we will come back. Abraham believed that somehow God was going to come through on this, that even if he were to sacrifice his son, that God, as it says in the book of Hebrews, that, that God could raise 
uh, Isaac from the dead, and, and Abraham hadn't even seen anybody raised from the dead. We haven't had that yet. This, but he believed God so much that he believed God could make it right no matter what. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, or said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, he said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now that I know you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. The, the, the fear that the, the, the Scripture is describing here is not a, I'm afraid God's going to beat me down kind of fear. It's a reverential awe. It's, it's the, the respect and the trust that a, a child would have for a loving father, and they would obey them. And, and, and here we see Abraham display faith by trusting God enough to do what he says and obey God. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, underline, because you have done this, this is, this, is, this is key, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed because, underline this, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. All right. Abraham, the father of faith, lots of confusion about faith in the church today. Uh, and, uh, and this passage really brings some clarity to that. And we're going to spend our time this morning just hopefully clarifying in our hearts and our minds exactly what the Bible talks about when it talks about faith. See, many of us think that, and, and even our language reflects this, we, we think that faith is a belief system, Right? I, I subscribe to the Christian faith. That means I, I believe Christian theology. I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin in, in Bethlehem, that he was crucified for the forgiveness of my sins and the sins of the world, and on the third day he rose again. That's my theology. I believe that up here. That is my faith. That is the Christian faith. Now, it's interesting because Abraham, the father of faith, he didn't have a theology. There was no Bible. 
he had a, about a 50-year relationship with God, a friendship with God, and he trusted God enough to do what God told him to do, but there was no theology. There was nothing, there was no uh, belief system. And that brings me to my first point of this message, and that is this. Faith is measured by our obedience, not our belief system. Faith is measured by our obedience, not our belief system. Now, is, belief, is a belief system important? Absolutely, 100%. Don't hear me saying that it's not important to know what you believe or what the Bible teaches or what, you know, Orthodox Christianity is, what Jesus taught. It's very important to to know all those things. Abraham didn't have access to those things, but he had a face-to-face friendship with God going on. Today, we live in the era of, of the Scriptures where we have the Word of God, and we know what Jesus commanded us to do, and we know what the Bible says, and we know, that, we know the theology, and we do need to know that up here. But faith, faith is belief lived out, not just belief. And that's so important to get through our hearts and minds. See, all this backs into a debate that, that goes on in Christian circles sometimes that, that we're saved by faith, not by works. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says we're, sa- we're saved by faith, not works, so that no one can boast, right? And, 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 and what Paul's trying to communicate there is that you can't do enough good deeds to earn salvation. Like your sin, the sin, the sin that your, your soul is stained with, you can't can't do enough good to wash that away, to earn your forgiveness, to earn God's favor. That's only going to come through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, which we see in this passage, we see Isaac kind of foreshadowing this substitutionary sacrifice that Jesus is going to do on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. That's God's gift to us. And we open that gift through faith. All right, so when Paul says we're, we're saved by faith, not works, what, what he's saying is you can't earn your faith. But what he is not suggesting is that we don't need to obey God. And over the years, what has happened is people have taken Ephesians 2 out of context and, and, and said, well, it's, it's just, you know, what Paul is emphasizing, this is, this is what Jesus has done, not what you're going to do. And we've taken it out of context and said, well, you don't have to do anything. And we end up with Christians thinking it doesn't matter how they live. You know, as long as I believe up here in my head the right things about Jesus, I believe he was crucified for my sins, I believe he rose from the dead, I'm good. You know, be nice to everybody, don't kick your dog, go to church when you feel like it, and you got a ticket into heaven, everything's cool. And that is so far from what the Scripture, if you look at it in its is totality, and you look at what faith actually means, it's so far from what the Scripture teaches us. Obedience is a big deal. Obedience is the manifestation of our belief, and we call that faith. Obedience is a big deal to Jesus. Now, our working definition of of faith to this point has been trusting God enough to do what He says even when it doesn't make sense to us or we don't understand, but trusting God enough to do what he says, basically obeying God. Faith and obedience go hand in hand. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
you love me, obey what I'm teaching you to do. Jesus linked this relationship with him to our obedience, which ultimately is faith. That's what we see Abraham demonstrate. I think part of, the, the part of what we run into uh, is, is lost in the translation. You know, in, in, in the Greek, the word, word pisti is the word for faith, but it's also the word for trust and belief. There's one word in the Greek for faith, trust, and belief, and it's translated either faith, trust, or belief in different places in the Bible. So in our culture, the word belief is really what we think, right? We think things. I think something's true. We'll call that a belief. Some of us believe in Bigfoot, right? I personally don't believe in Bigfoot because if Bigfoot were real, there are so many trail cams around the country that he would have shown up on a trail cam somewhere. Um, so I don't believe in Bigfoot. You might. We can have that conversation some other time. But you believe in Bigfoot. You believe that he's true or that he's real. It doesn't change the way you live. There are many of us who believe that exercise is good for us, but you don't exercise that's a belief. See, that's how we think of belief in our culture. When we hear the Scripture say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, we think of Bigfoot. We think, oh, I, b- I believe that. But that's not, what he, that's not what the Scripture is saying at all. You know, John, the Apostle John was Jesus' very best friend. They were as close as, as any two people. Um, and John... Uh, writes about belief and faith and all of this in some very famous passages. And uh, in John chapter 1 and verse 12, it says this. It says, Yet to all who did receive him, speaking of Jesus, to those who believed in his name, that's that Greek word pisti there, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, if we read that through our modern lens, we think, well, as long as I believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that He died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead, then I'm adopted into God's family. I'm a Christian, right? In John 3.16, you may be familiar with this one. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever pissed in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, we translate that in English, believe, and we think of it as modern, modern people as, I, I just need to believe the right thing up here in my head. We just need, just like Bigfoot, I just need to believe. But that's not what John was communicating. There's more to that word than just mental assent. It's faith and it's trust as well. And the very same John in the letter that he wrote to the early church in 1 John chapter 2 said this, we know that we have come to know him if we what? If we keep his commandments. John was not saying, look, all you have to do is believe the right theology and you're good. He's not saying that. Jesus never said that. It's a combination of believing the right things, but putting our faith and trust in them and living them out in obedience as well. Now, let's read that passage, or let's read that verse again. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Just a point of clarification there. You will not do that perfectly. Jesus doesn't expect you to keep his commands perfectly. Every hero in the Bible except for Jesus who did not have a sin nature, 
is as flawed as you are, have made horrific mistakes, including Abraham, the father of faith. Right? We're not going to get it perfect. We all have a sin nature. But, but we are moving towards God. We are more and more growing in our surrender to Him. We are living our lives purposely, on purpose, in His direction, in obedience to Him. That's what he's talking about. We know we've come to know Him if we keep His commands, if we're, we're striving to keep His commands. In James chapter 2 and verse 14, it says this, maybe the, the premier scripture on this topic. It says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Belief by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. He goes on, he says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, which you cannot do. You cannot demonstrate faith other than by living it out. And I will show you my faith by my deeds, he says. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Guys, the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They know it. They know that he was born of a virgin. They know he was crucified for the forgiveness of sins. It makes no difference because they do not have faith in Jesus. They have not placed their trust in him. The demons believe it and shudder. He goes on, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? There, he, there, he, there we are. Because you did this, God said. There is, a, there is a righteousness credited to him because he trusted God enough to obey what God told him to do. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith or not by belief alone gets confusing because of the, th the, the three meanings of, of that word in the Greek. But let's be clear. Let's be very clear here. Faith is belief in action. Now, we're not to earn our salvation. We can't. You can't do enough good things. You can't do enough good deeds or, or uh, say enough nice things to pay for your sins. Only through Jesus, only through what he did on the cross and receiving and accepting that gift by placing your faith in him and following him can that forgiveness and that salvation come to your life. But your obedience is your faith lived out. That brings me to the second point. You already have enough faith to obey God. You already have enough faith to obey God. At one point, Jesus' disciples, he's giving them a really hard teaching. Uh, and they say, uh, 
They say, well, increase our faith. And he says, you don't need any more faith. You got plenty of faith is basically what he says. See, there was a teaching that the rabbis had in Jesus's day that if somebody were to wrong you and then ask for forgiveness and what they call repent, which means they say, look, I'm not, never going to do that again. I'm really sorry. You're to forgive them. And if they do it again, you forgive them a second time. And if they do it again and they come back and like, like I know I've done this twice, but I'm never going to do it again. I'm really sorry. You forgive them a third time. But the fourth time, you seek prosecution. You seek justice. And that's what the rabbis taught in Jesus' day. That's a really hard teaching because by about the second time, you're like, I can't trust this person. I'm not going to forgive this person. Well, this is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, verses 3. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Sounds like a, sounds right in line with what they have heard their whole lives from their rabbis. Even if they sin against you seven times in one day, not three times over the course of a lifetime, seven times in one day, come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. This is a hard teaching. How can you possibly expect us to do that? You need to increase our faith, Jesus. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. So Jesus says, or the disciples are like, that's, that's, that's too hard. We need more faith in order to do that. And Jesus says, look, you don't need any more faith. You've got plenty of faith. And as he replies, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, a mustard seed was the smallest thing that they were aware of in their day and time. They didn't have electron microscopes. We know about atoms and subatomic particles and all that. But for them, that was kind of the, the smallest thing that they would have been aware of. So Jesus like, if you have even just a little speck of faith, you have enough faith to do what I'm asking you to do. You have enough faith to obey. You don't need more faith. You need to obey is what Jesus is saying. And then kind of hyperbolically speaking, Jesus says, you know, if you have just a mustard seed's worth of faith, you can tell this tree to be thrown into the ocean. Jesus never meant that we were going to be able to sit here and will a tree from there into the ocean. He was making a point that just a little bit of faith is enough faith to take a step of obedience in following God. You don't need more. You have enough faith. And if you have a little you have enough. Now, what is at play there and what Jesus understands is what I call the faith building cycle. And that is, we get to choose. Are we going to obey God or are we going to obey our own desires? Do we want what we want or do we want what God wants uh, is, is, is the question. And when we choose to obey God and forgive that person, some of us have been wronged in pretty significant ways. And the idea of forgiving the person is overwhelming because we feel like we're letting them off the hook, but yet Jesus says, forgive them. So we forgive that person and we take that small mustard seed step of faith. What you, we, you will see happen is that you'll see God come through in the midst of that. You'll see that he was right. You'll see your heart get free. You'll see that burden get lifted off of you. And you're like, oh wait, God does know what he's telling you. And then, and then what happens? Your faith grows. And step by step, 
one small step of faith by another small step of faith. Your, your trust in God grows bigger and bigger. This is what's happened with Abraham over the 50 years that he's walked with God. He's seen God come through time after time. So when God goes, all right, I want you to take Isaac and go to the mountain, next morning he's up, but he trusts God. His faith had been growing. It started as a mustard seed and turned into a mustard tree. And the same thing happens with us. It just takes a little bit to obey what God is telling us. So what about the, the mulberry tree being thrown into the ocean? It was just a figure of speech. It was just a figure of speech. There are, there are people who are like, all right, if I can just get enough faith, I can move a mountain. It was just a figure of speech. You have enough faith is what Jesus was telling his disciples in this. Guys, it's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to believe God. It's one thing to have the right information up here. It's another thing to believe and rest our trust and our lives in Him. Many of us believe in God, but we don't believe Him when it comes to how we manage and live out our marriages or our businesses or our sexuality or our finances or even the the topic of forgiveness. Do you trust God enough to do what He says in all those areas? And I could go on and on and on. Because as we live out and obey Him in those areas and many others, that's faith. I think the world looks at Christians and goes, man, they're a bunch of hypocrites because somehow we've, we've kind of fallen back into this idea, well, I believe the right things and I'm just going to live however I want on the side. And that is hypocrisy. And that's not what Jesus laid out. Point three, faith is about big obedience, not big risks. Faith is about big obedience, not big risks. You know, there are people who think, well, if I can come up with something crazy risky, the, the, the riskier, the better. God will bless it. He likes risk better than, than not risk. And, and, and I just want to be absolutely clear, there's no value in big risks. There's no spiritual value in big risks unless God is telling you to take them. Just because you decide you want to do something risky and see God come through, God is under no obligation to bail your butt out because you did something stupid if he didn't tell you to do it. Now, will ultimately he bring you through? Yes, he will, but, but he doesn't want us just doing stupid stuff for the sake of doing stupid stuff. There are lots of times where we do something, we think, oh man, this is, this, this is super crazy or super risky or super bizarre and God's going to love it. I don't know why we think that. And then it goes bad, and then we get mad and blame God. You know, Proverbs 19.3, a person's own folly leads to their ruin. Your own foolishness led to that. That was a bad decision. Yet their heart rages against God. What do you mean, God? Why didn't you? Because he didn't tell you to do that. He didn't give you a clear command to do that. Now, with all of that said, it is important to understand that there are times where God will ask us to do something that feels like a big risk, right? Was it, was it a big risk for Abraham to take his son up onto a mountain with a sharp knife and a bunch of wood and prepare him for a sacrifice? Yes. Was it, was it a big risk when, when God told Noah, look, I want you to build a boat bigger than anybody has ever seen because nobody's ever seen a boat because it's never rained here before. Was that a risk? Yes. 
Was it a risk when Peter got down out of the, out of the boat and walked on water towards Jesus in the middle of a storm with huge waves? Absolutely. Was it a risk when Joshua led the people of, or the, the army of Israel with the, the priests out in front and the Ark of the Covenant out in front to walk around Jericho seven times? Yes. But in every one of those circumstances, they had a clear command from God. They were absolutely clear. This is what God has told us to do, and they did it. Don't go looking for crazy or weird or risky. Free pastoral advice, don't do risky without a clear command. Which brings me to point number four, which is this. If you think God wants you to do something, check it three ways. If you think that God wants you to do something, check it three ways. Now, some things are just clear. They're in the Bible. We have Scripture today. Abraham didn't then. We do today. There are commands that Jesus has given us that are crystal clear. Live that way. I mean, be faithful to your wife or your husband. Do that. There's not really any ambiguity in that. Forgive your enemies. Jesus taught taught us to do that. Do that. But there are a lot of things that that uh, aren't just crystal clear in the commands in the Scripture, and God will prompt us in different ways to do things. And so here's what I want to encourage you to check things three ways. When you're not sure, check these three things and, and check them against one another. The first is this, the Holy Spirit. Abraham had a face-to-face relationship with, with God. God showed up in an angelic or some kind of bodily form and said, look, here's what I want you to do. He's had track record with God. He was crystal clear in his command about what God had told him to do. That's great. God doesn't typically do that in this day and age. We live in the age of the Spirit. And when, when we come to faith in Jesus, when we step across the line of faith, we get God on the inside. We get There's three things that happen when you step across the line of faith. First, all your sins are forgiven. You are washed clean. You're given a brand new slate. And all the guilt and shame and, and stuff that we carry gets washed away. We get a brand new start with God. That's pretty cool. The second thing that happens is we get adopted into his family. As John said in John chapter 1, we're adopted into his family. We become heirs of the king, kids of, of our heavenly father. And the third thing that happens is that God, the Spirit, comes and lives in our hearts. He comes and lives inside of us. This is the, Jesus said when he left, I'm going to send the counselor, the comforter. Uh, He's going to instruct you and teach you and and lead you. And he lives inside of us. We read about him in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's God who is working inside of us, God the Holy Spirit, and He will prompt us. He will whisper the still small voice, that's the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the problem. The problem is not with the Holy Spirit. The problem is with us. We're human. We have a sin nature. It makes things hard to hear sometimes. Sometimes we think we hear something clearly, but we're not 100% sure We'll get the general idea, but we'll miss the details. And then we run off and try and fill in all the details ourselves. And so when you're not 100% sure, 
you need to check it against these other two things. And the, the second thing is Scripture or the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God. In, in 2 Timothy, it says it is God-breathed. They're the very words and thoughts of God that we find in the Scripture. In Psalm 119, it says it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. The Bible is the obje objective truth. These are God's words. So if you feel like the Spirit has nudged you or spoken into your heart something, but there's a conflict between what the Bible says and what you feel like God has, has told you, go with the Word. It is the objective reality, the objective truth. The Spirit will not command you to do something that contradicts Scripture. He just won't. You know, uh, the if if God were to, if you were to, have this experience where like, well, the Lord told me that I'm supposed to leave my, my spouse because I met this girl from high school on Facebook, and she's really awesome, and we're like soulmates, all right? And so, uh, and God told me he's good with it because I should have married her in the first place and not married, the, married my wife, and, and so he said he's good with it, and I feel really good about that, and we're going we're gonna to run off and get married, and I'm leaving my wife. God didn't tell you that. That completely contradicts Scripture. Scripture says, be faithful to your spouse. Be faithful to your spouse. See, what you're doing in that situation is you're following your heart, not the Spirit. And the heart is deceitful above all things. See, we, as humans, we have all these mixed motivations, don't we? Our desires and our emotions and our appetites, they can confuse the situation. And we think we're hearing God say something, but it actually it's just really what I want. Scripture is the objective standard. You know, I used to do college ministry. I can't tell you how many times over the years that I was doing that, that college student would be like, God told me I'm going to marry him. And I'm like, really? And they, never, they end up never getting married. But God told her, you know, or... You know, God said we're supposed to get married, and all of the friends are like, no, 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 <laughs> red flags everywhere, don't do that. But, you know, like, let, let's stop, let's have a car. No, I'm not going to, and then they cut off all their friends because their heart wants that. And it's not God speaking, it's, it's their heart. So it's important that we take what we think we hear from God and we hold it up to Scripture. That's the second thing that we, we compare it to. But the reality is the Bible doesn't have a verse for every situation, does it? It doesn't. I mean, there, there are things like, should I go to this school or that school? Well, let me go to Deuteronomy and see. Does it say it's not in there? Should I go to WVU or Ohio State? W, WVU, clearly. But, you know, should, should I move to Africa, sell everything and become a missionary? It's not in the Bible. It doesn't say that you should or you shouldn't. Should I take this job or that job? And this is where this third factor that we have to weigh our process against comes in, and that is this, wise, godly counsel. Wise, godly counsel. Wise, the person, what I mean by that is the person should have a track, track record of making good, wise decisions. You know, if you got a, a business question, you don't want to seek wisdom from your college buddy who's on his fourth business and declare bankruptcy on the first three, right? If you want relationship advice, your hairdresser who's on her sixth marriage, not a good idea. Six, the more marriages does not make them better at marriage, just, just to be clear. All right, you want wise 
counsel and you want godly counsel, which means you want people who are following Jesus and preferably people who are more mature and farther along in their relationship with Jesus than you are. Guys, this is why, part of why we do life groups at the Vineyard Church. They're starting this week. If you haven't signed up for one, sign up for one. You need a small group of people. It's kind of like your, your, your court. You're going to hold court. You know, you, these are the people you're doing life with, and they have different perspectives, and God will speak through them and share wisdom through them. And as you do life together, you get a clear picture of what God is telling you to do. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise... Listen to advice. All right, fifth point is this. Faith doesn't make your life easy, but it does make it great. Faith doesn't make your life easy, but it does make it great. The reality is that faith can lead you to the promised land or it can lead you to the cross. Faith can lead to difficult circumstances. You know, those three days where Abraham was traveling with Isaac to the mountain, had to have been excruciating. Jesus facing the cross the days before, and then as we know in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then as he goes to the cross, excruciating, did not make his life easier, but he chose to obey. The early Christians, many of them were persecuted for their faith, not celebrated for their faith. Didn't make life easier. I think Somewhere along the lines, we've begun to believe that, that if we place our faith in Jesus, if we step out in faith and obedience, that somehow now everything will be perfect and all the dominoes will fall in our direction and, and life will be easy. But anyone who will tell you that, pastor or otherwise, is either trying to sell you something or get something from you. Because the reality is, sometimes it leads to places of, of ease and blessing, and other times it leads to difficult situations. Uh, and as we talked about last week, testing is part of the journey, so it's, none of us get out of here without some difficulty along the way. But God doesn't promise us ease, guys. He promises us purpose and friendship and life in all of its fullness. And there is nothing more satisfying and there is nothing more fulfilling than knowing you are right where God wants you to be. And as we choose to place our faith in Him, not just our belief, but our obedience to what we believe and our obedience to Him, life gets great. So faith is not just believing in God. It is believing God. I'm going to close with a quick illustration. This is a chair. You guys ever seen one? I'm sure you have. Now, do you believe that that chair would hold me or you? That the engineer who designed the chair and had the welds placed just right and the angles, that they designed that in such a way that that would hold a person? I believe that. You believe that? You probably believe that too because we've been sitting on chairs our whole life right? That's belief. Faith is actually sitting down in the chair without really thinking about it, leaning back on the back two legs and placing all of our weight and all of our trust 
in all of our faith in this chair. Guys, this is what faith is. This is what Abraham demonstrated. And this is what God calls us to when He calls us to follow Him. To believe Him enough to do what He says, even when we don't completely understand it. And as we take those small steps of faith, He grows our faith. And He grows our relationship with Him. And He blesses us along the way. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus yet, I want to invite you to do that today. And it's really a very simple step, stepping over the line of, Jesus, I believe. Maybe you haven't believed. Maybe you do believe now, but now you want to place your faith in him. And it's just saying, Jesus, I believe all the theology stuff. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. And then asking him to actually forgive you. And so right now, wherever you are, just say, if, you, if you've never done that, just say, Jesus, I believe. I believe it all. I believe you, you, you came. I believe you, you died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And I ask that you would forgive me now. Come into my heart. Teach me how to follow you. Grow my faith. And help me to know you, follow you, to want what you want more than I want what I want and to live a life that is full of life and purpose and the greatness that you've created me for. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.